coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Daniel chapter 4. And I love the book of Daniel so much because in the Old Testament, we read so much about these other nations that had been enemies to Israel. And yet we only have glimpses and very brief mentionings of them. And what we have in the book of Daniel is it actually takes us inside the very palace of one of these um, pagan nations that are, are enemies to Israel. And yet we also even have access into the mind of its emperor, whose name was King Nebuchadnezzar. So I'd like to begin this morning in Daniel chapter 4, starting in the 28th verse. It says that all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is the longest reigning monarch of the Babylonian Empire. He will have reigned for 43 years at the end of his rule. And so here's a man of incredible wealth and power. And yet, tragically, he was also a very arrogant man. He was a megalomaniac kind of an emperor and a ruler and a king. Where having one kingdom under his power simply was no longer enough for him. He had to control and to dominate all the other empires around his nation of Babylon. Having civic respect as a king in just one region was not good enough for him anymore. But he had to erect a golden statue of himself that was larger than the Washington Monument. And he commanded everybody, by way of an edict, that everybody has to bow down and worship me, pretty much. I mean, you you literally have to worship me. And if you don't, then we're going to burn you to death. (laughs) And so in the year 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon invades Jerusalem. They break down the walls of the city of Jerusalem and they burn a temple to the ground. Solomon had built. There was a great slaughter amongst the Israelites, and everyone who is a survivor is then led away a thousand miles into Babylon, into slavery once again, into captivity. And so what we see in our text is we see King Nebuchadnezzar walking on the roof of his palace one morning or one evening. And, you know, from the very jump in our text, that is a red flag as we begin because it's, you know, nothing good ever happens when a king is walking up on a rooftop by himself. And so here is Nebuchadnezzar looking at Babylon in all of its glory. Babylon is sparkling in all of its splendor and all of its magnificence. 
And he thinks about all of the extravagance of the palace on which he is standing. All of the statues that are inside. All of the exotic foods that have been been imported from from all over the um, world and region at that time. He thinks about how much gold and silver he has in his treasury. How much money he's got. He looks far off into the distance and he sees hanging gardens that were one of the the wonders of the ancient world. And as he's looking at all of this stuff and thinking about all that he has accumulated in his reign as king, what is welling up inside of his heart is this is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. This is the greatest country that has ever existed on the face of the planet. And it's all because of me. I am the greatest emperor who has ever reigned. I am the greatest emperor in the history of Babylon. I am the king of kings and the lord of lords in this world. And in our text, if you look in our text, verse 30, notice his personal pronouns that he's using. Is not this great Babylon, notice, which I have built? By my mighty power is a royal residence. And for the glory of, notice again, my majesty, what we have is my, my, me, me, I, 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 me, I, I, me. And I just want to say that if you have an emperor or a king or a queen or a president who is speaking like this, you had better hit your knees and start praying very quickly. Now, what is going on in our text in the context is King Nebuchadnezzar has been having a series of disturbing dreams. And he brings in all of his magicians and sorcerers and all of these other people to make sense out of, but they can't. They have no idea what his dreams mean. And so he sends a man of God and Daniel comes in and he says, here's what it means. God is about to rip all of your kingship out of your hands. Very soon, you will no longer be the king if you remain the way that you are. And yet, King Nebuchadnezzar, in all of his arrogance and all of his bragging and boasting, he ignores all of those warnings. And his boasting reaches an even more critical impasse. And that is when he begins boasting in himself that that I am the reason for all of this. And you know, I don't think that we always realize just how dark bragging and boasting really are in this way. Now, in a lot of religious environments, it seems like in just about every religious culture that has ever existed, just about, there is a tendency to only single out a very handful of things God says is unrighteous activity. And to turn a blind eye to a lot of other things that are also very unrighteous and dark in the eyes of God. For a moment, I just want to read a description that we find in the book of Romans chapter 1. Now, for my entire life, I have heard Romans chapter 1, really, it has been described as the anti-homosexuality chapter. Romans 1 has a lot to say about homosexuality. And yet, this is not the homosexuality chapter by any stretch of the imagination. And I just want us to listen to what God also places in the exact same category as homosexuality. 
This is Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 29. What is said there is that they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And then notice this, they are gossips. They are slanderers. They are haters of God. They are insolent, haughty. And then he uses the word of boastful. They are boastful. Inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but notice they give hearty approval to those who do practice them. And there's another list that we find in, um, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, and again, I just want us to listen very carefully to what is mentioned here as well. Well, what Paul says is that, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud. And then again, we find that word appear in most translations. It is the word of, of a boastful boastful and arrogant, abusive. And again, it says, um, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. And then it drops down and it says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I mean, are we noticing how being a lover of one's own self being a lover of money and of pleasure is in the same eyes of God along the lines of a person who is a lover of the same sex. How a child who is not obedient to their mom and dad, or a person who is boasting and bragging about their own selves, that is just as dark. That is equally as hellish in the eyes of God as capital murder is. And our country is seeing a lot of protest about just that maybe two or three of these things in the past many years. Just once, I would like to see a picket line that is protesting being ungrateful in spite of all the blessings we have received from the hand of God. About being arrogant and braggadocious, boastful people. People who are self-righteous, but I don't think we're going to see any um, picket lines about those things because what happens when we read Scripture this honestly and this with you know, having open hearts and a sense of self-awareness is that this is something that really catches all of us. When we look at all of these, these qualities in a very honest way, we have nobody else that we can really look um, down upon or to wag a finger at because we are all mentioned in some way, shape, or form in a passage like that. Now in Romans 1, as well as in a passage that I read in 2 Timothy, as it says that they are um, boastful, what that word means in the Greek language is the word alazon. What Alizon means literally is an imposter. It is a vagabond who is wandering around singing their own individual praises to anyone who is gullible enough to, to hear them. 
It's a person who is excessively preaching the gospel of their own abilities, of their own achievements, and most, by the way, cannot and, and have not actually been accomplished by they themselves. It's just simply what they would like other people to believe about them. And I find it interesting how in James' letter, as he speaks about our human tongues and about speech, you know, I would read that chapter for so many years and I would think, well, okay, this is the chapter where it says that I can't use four-letter words. And as I have immersed myself in this time and, and in what was going on in the world in this time, what I discovered is, is that the profanity of the New Testament and the profanity of the Old Covenant was not so much four-letter words as unfitting as they might be, but rather what the profanity of Scripture is, is a lying tongue, is a false witness who is breathing out lie after lie after lie after lie. It is a person who is gossiping about other people, slandering them. It's a person who is, who is insulting the intelligence of another person, especially a brother or a sister in Christ. But especially, I find it interesting how James starts his famous chapter on the human tongue, and he says that the tongue is a small member, but it makes great brags and boasts. He begins with this cancer and disease of human boasting. And you see, what he means is that when we use the sacred gift of human speech to, to sing our own praises, he's saying that our tongues are a fire that is spiraling out of control. Just like all of the fires right now that are raging California right now. And the scary thing is, is that there are so many, way, you know, so many sneaky ways that we can boast. I think about one of those ways that is known of as humble bragging, and we see this all the time on social media. Humble bragging is, it's got the veil of humility. It uses phrases like, I am so humbled by this, but it's very apparent that it is a fake humility. It is something that is trafficking in envy, trying to make other people jealous of what we've got that they might not have. It's something like a person who is writing something or or who is making a statement like, I can't believe that my co-workers have nominated me for this prestigious award for the seventh consecutive year. I, just, I am just so shocked by that. It's while everybody else is at work on a Tuesday morning. There's a person who does not have a job, and their spouse has a job somewhere, and they're taking a 12th vacation of the year, and what they write is something akin to, we were going to spend the whole day at the beach today, but it's raining, so, so we just have to spend the whole day in our luxury hotel room. I don't know what we're going to do with ourselves today. <laughs> and I mean, everybody else who is in the office on a Tuesday morning, they do not want to hear that. Do you hear me? They do not want to hear something like that. And yet it's something that I've really had to be really cautious about too. Many years ago, I was leading a devotional at my last job in Florida. And I've got a very high metabolism. My whole life, I've been able to eat whatever I want to, junk food, whatever I want to eat, and I lose weight doing it. 
And I inadvertently had started bragging about how on my first week on, on a job on a truck, I lost 11 pounds in just six days. And I said, I'm not even trying to lose weight. It just happened. I don't want to lose weight, but I, I dropped 11 pounds. And I mean, there was a room full of women who were ready to make, make me meet my maker that day. I mean, grabbing purses, you know, that close to smacking me in, in the face with their purses. And I mean, I just learned that that is not helpful to anybody who has a hard time actually losing weight. And in so many ways, we can inadvertently do this. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, love does not boast. Love does not try to traffic in the envy of other people. Love always builds the other person up. And so there is what is known of as the humble brag, but we can also brag in our wisdom and knowledge, though, can't we? I remember many years ago also there was a guy who was about my age who was getting his master's degree at a um, Christian school somewhere. And that's great. I mean, that is great news. A lot of hard work. I understand that. And yet the way that he announced it to the world is that on my very first attempt at defending my college um, paper and dissertation, I defended it on the first attempt. Unlike so many other people in my class who are on the fourth or, or on the sixth attempt. And by the way, I'm the youngest person in my class and I just got my master's degree at 27 years old. I understand being happy about that. And yet, how does a message like that make all those other guys feel who did not get their master's degree that day? We can boast in our intelligence and make others feel as if they are inferior to our knowledge sometimes. And I grew up going to so many Bible studies where it was apparent that there was a person inside that auditorium who was not there to sit at Jesus' feet or to bask in his glory. They were there to disrupt and to be a disagreeable voice, and to bicker, so that everybody inside that auditorium could, could really bask in at how much more they knew than the elders and the minister himself. It's so easy to brag in our own intelligence sometimes. But we can also do this religiously, though. Think about what Jesus says on one occasion is there is a Pharisee who's praying in the temple and he says, God, I'm so grateful that I'm not like other people because I pray all the time and I fast twice a week and I tithe and I give to the poor. I'm, I'm nothing like this sinner over here. That is religious boasting rearing its ugly head. And it was about a year and a half ago, I, I noticed something on Twitter, how a minister at a mega church was actually holding a raffle. And I'm, I'm not kidding you guys. His grand prize in this raffle giveaway was an autographed copy of his sermon notes that he had preached that past Sunday morning. And yet I think really the worst way that we can brag and boast is, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, when it has the appearance of godliness, but we deny its extravagant power. Now, I find it interesting in our text here, um, Daniel chapter 4, is that is how the chapter opens, and Nebuchadnezzar actually is giving God glory and praise. 
He says it to the whole entire world. God is, is incredible. He does it in a very public setting, but, but just a couple of verses later, he reveals privately that um, a god named uh, um, Belshazzar is actually his real god. Then about 20 verses later, this is when he begins worshiping himself in the form of, this is Babylon the Great that, that I have made happen in so many ways. And I mean, a nation can call itself a Christian nation. It's good when they stamp, in God we trust, on their currency. You can hold the Bible up and you can say, God bless America. And yet, if your actions and your words are not agreeing with each other, and they are, are um, having, having a bar fight. And if we are going to be just another corrupt, boastful superpower that is drunk on the wine and the gluttony of conquest and on money and on world control and domination, then it has the appearance of godliness, yes, but it denies its power. And you see, the, really what the problem is with human boasting is no matter how handsome, beautiful, or smart, or rich, or ultra-talented we may, may be, I mean, there's a hundred thousand people outside of our door who are better looking, richer, stronger, smarter, faster than we will ever be. And the problem with when we brag in this way is that human glory has an expiration date. Especially when it is this loud and this arrogant as it is in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, when it's this loud and this, this um, arrogant, it never ends pretty, does it? We all remember Goliath, how he is standing before the army of Israel defying them, bragging about what a great champion he is, and he was a great champion of, of warfare. And yet what is so, so wrong and so obscene about him doing this is that here's a guy who's over nine feet tall, looking down on people nine times less his size, trying to make them feel even smaller than they already were. That is not a champion. That is a coward at work right there. And yet all that it took was a shepherd boy who was a teenager more than likely, and one stone out of a creek bed, and in just a matter of minutes, Goliath goes from defying Israel and taunting them bragging about how great he is. And then a few minutes later, King David has his head in a bag. See, that's because God is opposed to the proud. And God gives grace to the humble. In the book of Acts, we read about the Hebrew king Herod. And this is not, not Herod the Great who we read about in the Gospel of Matthew, but rather this is his grandson, King Herod Agrippa I. And there's all these people who, who have come from another region because he holds all of their supplies of food. And so it says and it depicts King Herod as, as making a grand triumphant entrance. Where he's got these royal robes that he's wearing. He sits down on his throne and begins addressing all of these people. And there was a historian living at the time whose name was Josephus. And what he writes as this happened before their eyes is that is that King Herod was wearing a garment made entirely of silver. And early in the morning, he came inside a theater where, where all of the games take place. And as he spoke, 
wearing that silver garment, being, or um, he says that he, he was illuminated by the reflection of the rising sun. As, it, as the sun's reflection had made his face appear so resplendent that it spread terror on everyone who was looking upon his face. And as it says in the book of Acts, all the people interrupt his address and they begin screaming and shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. And this is the kind of stuff that the Apostle Paul would have wept about and said, no, 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 I am just a man, as he rips his clothes apart. As King Herod hears all of this, King Herod is giggling at this. King Herod is like, I can't hear you guys. Can I get everybody in the back section to kick it up a notch? What is, you know, who am I? What is my voice? It's the voice of a what and not a man? And what it says in the book of Acts is that immediately as he is accepting all of this worship towards him, it says that an angel had struck him and he was eaten by worms and he died. Now, as we read what Josephus had recorded, it, it seems like the angel had made an invisible appearance because he doesn't mention any angels, but he does say that as, as everybody's chanting the voice of a God and not a man, King Herod looks up and he sees an owl that is perched on a rope that is situated above his head. And Josephus says that at that very moment in time, he began having intestinal worms and those intestinal worms literally ate his insides alive for the next five days. Because after all, God is opposed to the proud. And yet, God gives grace to the humble. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor over a nation, Babylon. If you say Babylon very slowly, what other name do you get? Babel. Babel is the exact same place as Babylon. Babylon, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, was a site and the place and the setting of, of a tower that we all know of as the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel is that timeless tale of the dangers and the perils of human pride. Where they had said that we're going to build a tower with a top reaching into the heavens so that we can make a name for our own self. I mean, this was the original New York City skyscraper here. They were boasting in the cleverness and in their own ingenuity, in their greatness. And we all know what the result is because we're speaking English this morning. We all know what the result was because we should be speaking some weird language right now, but we're speaking English instead. God confuses what they're saying. God scatters them all over the, the earth in that time. And God shuts down an entire work zone. And that um, tower never gets completed because of their arrogance and their boasting. And yet now in our text, though, Daniel chapter 4, it says in, I believe it's in verse 31, that after he has made his boast, verse 31 says that while the words were still in the king's mouth, just as it was in the life of King Herod, as he's struck by an angel and he has worms all of a sudden. It says, just as the words had been in the king's mouth, 
there had fallen a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom has departed from you. Dropping down into verse 33, it says again, immediately the word was fulfilled against King Nebuchadnezzar, that he was driven out from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like the the claws of a bird. Isn't it remarkable that in just a few moments of his life, a few minutes perhaps, he goes from saying, I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now he looks like a raging lunatic who is living as if he were an animal in the field. Because after all, God is opposed to the proud. And God gives grace to those who are humble. As legend has it, there was a captain of the Titanic who said, This ship is so great, not even God can sink my ship. And yet all that it took was an iceberg. And the Titanic, as great and as mighty as it was at the time, and innovative at the time, it sunk just like any other ship. And this is what happens to the ship of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Babylon sinks. It is struck by that iceberg of pride. Where despite of all of its claims that we, are, we have a superiority in terms of our commerce, we have a superiority might and military force, it fell. It sunk. It suffered the exact same fate as any other world superpower that is boasting in human flesh. And this is what happens time and time and time again when, when there is boasting of this magnitude. Boasting in human flesh. And yet here's the thing though. God wants us to be braggers. Jesus wants us to brag and to boast. And so we come to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 9, I believe it is. Jeremiah chapter 9, and Jeremiah, of course, lived in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Jeremiah is a prophet who is the very last prophetic voice just before Israel goes away into Babylonian captivity. He spends 40 years warning them night and day that if you do not change, you God's judgment is coming. It's not going to be pretty. We will be led away into captivity. And for 40 years, Jeremiah is preaching to the crickets. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Whatever you have to say, Jeremiah, we're God's nation. We're a godly nation. God bless Jerusalem. God bless Israel. We're going to be okay no matter what. We can just, just live however we want to live. It's all going to be fine because we're God's people after all. And notice what God says in Jeremiah chapter 9 starting in verse 23. Where he says to his beloved nation, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this. Let him boast that he understands and knows me. Let him boast that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, God says, I, I will delight. You see, not all human boasting is bad. 
God is saying, boast away. If you're going to boast in me, boast and never stop boasting. Brag until you are blue in the face 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Brag that I am the living God. You see, God never wants this kind of boasting to ever stop in his people. No longer boasting in, in our own human flesh or in this world, but, but now boasting in Jesus Christ. And so the message for you, as well as for, for I myself this morning, is this. Is be a Nebuchadnezzar. Be a Nebuchadnezzar who stands up on a rooftop bragging and boasting. And yet rather than being just another Nebuchadnezzar bragging and boasting in his own abilities and achievements, or in horses, or in chariots, or in military force, or in countries... Be a Nebuchadnezzar who is bragging about the greatness of Jesus Christ. As the psalmist says, some boast in chariots, others in horses, but, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. He said, is this not Babylon which, which I have made, which, which I have made so great? You and I can also stand up on a rooftop, but, but what our rhetoric needs to be is that, is this not the mighty church that King Jesus has built? That he has purchased with his own blood in forgiveness of my sins. That he has added me to his church. That he has given me a seat at his table in his kingdom to his glory and honor and power and reverence. See, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church at Galatia who is bragging and who's boasting. A lot of them are, are um, bragging and boasting that, that we are still upholding the law of Moses. Not everybody's doing that, like us. And yet what Paul says is that far be it from me that, that I should ever boast, except in the cross of Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how Galatians ends. As Paul writes his last letter to the church at Corinth, he explains how he was given a glimpse into God's heaven or, or in paradise. And he hears these, these inex, inexpressible sounds that a man is not permitted to really understand. God has given Paul very exclusive access in this peak behind the veil. And yet God understands, though, that it is so exclusive that, that Paul is going to come out of that experience very haughty and he's going to brag about it until Jesus comes. So what Paul says is to prevent me from exalting myself and boasting in my own human flesh, there was a messenger of Satan sent to torment me, a thorn in the flesh. And he says, God, please remove it three times. But, but God says, nope, I'm not going to do that, Paul. And here's what the Apostle Paul, as well as I myself, have learned in time. Where it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, and with hardships, and with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then my God is strong for me on my behalf. Can you believe that even insults which come our way 
are grounds for rejoicing and for bragging about God is going to take all of this sorrow and darkness and pain and He's going to transform it into something so beautiful inside me, regardless of those insults, regardless of the pain of the adversity. And so what we see in all of this is that human praise fishes for compliments. It fishes for self-glorification, but, but godly praise, it is, it is always trafficking in the praise and glorification of Christ. It sings the glories and the wonders that, that He has done in our lives and that He has accomplished in our world. It takes the spotlight off of us forevermore and it casts it brightly on Jesus Christ. As Charles Spurgeon had said so long ago, while there are some who are so busy congratulating themselves, we stand at the foot of the cross and at the empty tomb and we marvel that we're even saved at all. And we brag in that cross and we boast in that empty tomb. And so my brothers and sisters, it is not a question of, is man a braggart? Man is a boaster. Really, the question is, what is he going to boast about? It's not a question of whether or not we will sing how great thou art. Every person on the face of the earth is singing how great thou art right now. And yet the question is, are we singing how great thou art to God or to ourselves or to Jesus or to America or to the kingdom of, of heaven or to the kingdom of this earth? And so God's challenge and God's invitation to us all this morning is not that we have to approach non-Christians and have a perfect speech prepared for them. We don't have to know everything about the scriptures or about God. We don't have to wow people with, with our scripture knowledge. All that we have to do in the lives of other people is brag about Jesus. That's it brag about Jesus, boast to other people in this week and in the days ahead about what God has, has achieved in our lives. And God will smile upon us. So my brothers and sisters, let us be Nebuchadnezzars for Jesus Christ, who acknowledge and proclaim until their voices are hoarse that he is my boast and he is what I will brag in.